I'm Lauren Sterling, and this is Ordinary Grit, the podcast where I talk to ordinary people who have overcome and are doing amazing things, because your story has power. Oh, this one is such a treat. This is an important name in real estate in Kansas City, but she's continuing to lead and pave the way in much bigger ways than business. She's inspiring, energetic, and just so much fun. You do not want to miss this one. Okay, so Fawn, I am so excited that you're here. I'm so excited that you are sitting here literally with coffee. So it really is just like coffee with me, conversation about all kinds of things. And as I was thinking about how to talk about what you do and what your story is, we might need another day. So there's so many things in so many different arenas that you are in that you're doing really cool things. So we will try to figure out, have a path of how we're going to talk about things. But I am going to talk about how we met. And that's how I know you sort of, and then we'll kind of go back. So we're in real estate. You have a brokerage in Lee Summit. And somehow we had mutual friends that believed that we should be doing real estate together. So we met. It was very fast because you talk real fast and you, you're you on a mission. And I love that. You're so energetic. And so I came to work for you last July. Hasn't even been a year yet. Wow. Yeah, I know. Feels, Feels like, like forever. forever. I know. So we were, uh, who, our friend, our mutual friend was right. I think there was a really good connect. And I won't out you on your age unless you really want me to. But when we first met, you were about to have a big birthday and so was I. And it put you 30 years ahead of me. And I thought, man, you don't meet very many people who have paved 30 years more in a way that you're like, I want to do some of that. I want to be a part of that. Or I want to be like that when I grow up. I know I'm grown, but I I just don't meet a lot of people that make me feel that way, that make me inspired. And I left that coffee shop going, I know what I'm going to do. Like hands down, I know what I'm going to (laughs) do. So that's how we originally got connected is we're, we're doing real estate together and together is a stretch. You are, you know, you're the, the godfather of it. And I'm just one of the, (laughs) one of the people selling houses. But as I got to know you, you really, there's so much more. So I know we'll talk about real estate a little bit, but there's so many details to the ways that you choose to live your life, the way that you choose to spend your money. I think those are all really important things that are going to speak to whether it's other grandparents, other parents, other agents. It's really widespread. So I was thinking we'll kind of start. I know your life didn't start when you got married, but I feel like that's kind of a good place to kind of go back to. So how long have you been married? Well, I'll go ahead and out myself first okay. thing. Okay, cool. Okay, <laughs> my big birthday was 70. Yes. In February. And no one would know. Oh. You're like I, the Energizer bunny. You well, awesome. I, and- <laughs> I have been looking forward to being 70. In fact, I made a decision when I turned 70, several things were going to happen. Number one, I was going to spend more time mentoring agents than selling real estate. And number two, I was going to let my hair go gray. Okay. I'd been coloring it for years and years until I even forgot what color it was. <laughs> and so it was a year-long process. I started when I turned 69. I told my hairdresser, I said, by the time I'm 70, I want to be gray. And I don't know what my gray is going to look like. And so It's beautiful. Well, it's it, white. it started coming out and it was silver. And I was like, I'm loving this. So anyway, now I'm totally gray. I'm 70 and I'm loving it. This is like, I'm loving this season of life. Great. That's how it should be. Well, okay. So I got married in 1970. Okay. So do the math. I have been married 53 years in December. Wow. And, you know, you said there's a lot to talk about. You you know, you can do a lot in 53 years. Yeah. 
and we have done a lot. So we got married. Uh, I was really young when I got married, went to college after I got married. Uh, it was a different time. People got married earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I went to college after we were married. And I remember my husband and I used to go to the plaza every day, drove in the car and he drove and I would sit in the car and read to him. And so I'd go to the library and find cool books. And that's what we, how we would spend that 20, 25 minutes from Raytown into the plaza area. Because you were a learner, because what, what was the motivation? I just love a good story. Okay. I just love a good story. And, and I had read a lot when I was growing up, a lot of missionary stories. And I remember even thinking, gosh, if I could ever do anything like that, God, I'd, I would just love that. I'd be so willing to do that. So at that point, you weren't doing that. And he no. wasn't, that wasn't on the radar. No, we were both in Bible college. We were studying, okay. you know, to do something. I had come to know Christ, come to faith when I was eight years old and, you know, had some rocky places in my teenage years, but ended up back at what was really important. And that was to serve the Lord. And so I went to the library, the Van Horn School Library. Don't even know how I ended up there. I mm. apparently, I, I don't know. I don't know how I ended up there. Anyway, I came out with this book, Mission to the Headhunters. Okay. Now, who wouldn't want to read that? Mission yep. to the Headhunters? Doesn't that sound fun? Yeah. Okay. So I thought, all right. So we started reading and it took us like three or four days because we read right through it. And when we got done, it was the story of Frank and Marie Drown in Ecuador and how they had done ministry in the jungles of Ecuador to the then called Hivero Indians. And when we finished, Charlie said, what mission organization are those people with? And I turned to the front of the book and it said, Gospel Missionary Union. He said, I wonder where they are. And I said, well, it's right here. They're in Smithville, Missouri. Oh, my gosh. Charlie's like, well, we ought to go see them. So as the Lord would have it, because, you know, he is the grand orchestrator mm -hmm. of life. That week, John Barkas from Gospel Missionary Union was one of the speakers at chapel mm. at Calvary Bible College. And so Charlie comes home and he says, okay, we definitely have to go see these people. So we had in mind, we were going to go to Alaska because that was the, that was the, the ask at Calvary. You know, he said, you know, we we're looking for missionaries to go work at a camp in Alaska. And Charlie's like, this is great. We don't have to learn any languages. It's English. We're, it's awesome. So we go up and make an appointment with these folks and sit down with the intention of maybe God would call us to Alaska. Well, the more we talked to them, they said, you know, have you ever heard of the Quechua Indians? And we said, no, never heard of them. He said, well, they're in Ecuador. And he told us a little bit about what was going on with the Quechua Indians. And it was really cool because people had been ministering there for over 50 years. There'd been no response to the gospel. And now all of a sudden in the 1970s, people were coming to know Christ by literally thousands. Hmm. And they needed missionaries. They only had a few missionaries there. And we said, well, that sounds good. And he said, now the only thing is you have to learn two languages. Mm -hmm. But you guys are young enough, you could do it. And so that's how we started on that journey to how, Ecuador. How young married? Like how early in your marriage were you moved, uh, packing up? And Well, but when we arrived on the field, we went to a year of language school on the border of Mexico with Rio Grande Language Institute. And then by the time our feet hit Ecuador, I was 21 years old. Charlie's five years older than me. Okay. So he was, you know, a little bit ahead. How did he do with language? Oh, he's brilliant. Really? Okay. Oh, yeah. He, he He's forgotten more than I've ever learned. So he, huh. he was awesome with languages. And, okay. and it was easy for both of us. Okay. So then you go, and how long are you there? Four years. Okay. Yeah. So we go down. We think we're going to work in extension seminary. 
and we end up working with the American Bible Societies and doing the rough draft of the Old Testament. They already Kichu Indians already had the New Testament, so we did the rough draft of the Old. Hmm. Or Charlie did the first pass, and then another missionary couple came, lived in our house, and took the next ten years to do the final draft. Is this this could be way off, but it, the the Elliots Elizabeth Elliot had some to do with. That is that that same group same, of Indians oh, yeah. years before. Well, she worked among the Quechua Indians in the jungle area. Okay, and I had read in nineteen fifty when in nineteen fifty seven when the five missionaries were killed and, and Elizabeth yeah. wrote that book. I had read it as a young yeah. person, and that was one of the books that deeply impacted me. Yeah, no, she was fascinating and paved the way in some. She I mean, really did. Really, when it made no sense for a woman to go back and take the risks that she did, and so I've read a lot of her stuff. You remind me of her. I always tell you that because. <laughs> She just well, doesn't quit, you know. A, a lot of the widows were still there. Yeah. So we were friends with Marge Saint. Oh, my gosh. With Barb Udarian. Um, These are, like, famous people to me. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. we were, th- they we were they were still there when we got there. Hmm. And really. It's like passing the baton. You guys, you, it was. you guys did the next, the next little r- part of the race. So. And Frank and Marie Drown were real integral to that whole thing, too, because Frank was the one, if you remember the story, five missionaries were killed on a sandbar in uh, the jungles of Ecuador, and Frank was one of the missionaries. He was the missionary that went in and recovered the bodies. So mm-hmm. Frank and Marie, was that was the book we read mm-hmm. on our way to the plaza in right. the car. Yep. And then when we get down there, we end up being really good friends with Frank and Marie. Mm. And, uh, in fact, when they moved back to Kansas City, I helped them find a house. Oh, my gosh. I know. That's I know. so awesome. Okay. So you do that for... As long as God tells you to do what's what's happening. I mean, were you having kids? Were you thinking like that at that point? Oh, yeah. We had two children while we were there. Jenny was born in 76. Okay. And you can't even imagine 1976. Okay, there's no cell phones, right? It takes a month to get a letter. Hmm. We did, we did order Time Magazine, okay, which was always interesting because <laughs> it would arrive and it would have already been read a hundred times by the time we got it. It was all worn out by the time we got it. Hmm. And then Charlie and I were so excited when Time Magazine would come, we'd split it in half. He'd get half, I'd get half, and then we'd finish it up. If it was all there, sometimes pages were torn out. Yeah. So letters were not possible. You were completely on your own. In fact, our stuff had actually arrived in barrels. It took three months for things to arrive yeah. there. So it was just a different world. When you got on the plane, you really said goodbye yeah. to your family. Yeah. So I was going to ask that. I mean, your your parents, you were super young, uh, young, married, and just young in general. Your parents were, were supportive or? Yeah. I mean, my parents were, yeah, they were supportive. I mean, my dad especially. Charlie's mom and dad were supportive. Didn't quite get what we were trying to do. Thought mm-hmm. maybe we were going to go down and put in wells or something. But mm-hmm. they were very supportive. Came down twice. Okay. That's, that's support. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's big. Okay. So four years and then you were called out. Yeah. Then we came back to the, to the States and, you know, Charlie had, uh, his number had never been drawn for the Vietnam War. So he came back with a degree in biblical studies, not really sure what he was going to do. By this time, we had two kids. Johnny was born in 1979. Jennifer was born in 76. Elizabeth was born in 77 while we were down in Ecuador, May 78. And then, and she passed away in Ecuador. And then Johnny was born in 1979. And so here's Charlie in the States, two little kids, a degree in biblical studies, not sure what we want to do. And you know, when you're out of the country that long, I mean, you're just off the grid. And we came back feeling so out of it. 
like displaced, displaced, not sure how to be in ministry in the States, not sure, you know, couldn't even count change. That's Sorry. pretty bad, you know, so kind of felt like I had one foot in South America, one foot in America, didn't know, you know, had babies in a 14 bed hospital in the jungle, didn't know, you know, <laughs> yeah. so came back really out of it. How long did it take you to feel like you acclimated again? It probably took two or three years Yeah, to really feel like I was home. But anyway, so Charlie joined the military. Okay. Joined the military and it kind of felt like he never really served in Vietnam. And, you know, and his dad was military, his grandfather, you know, he kind of had that history. So he thought, well, this is what I could do in the interim. So he did, uh, was real successful, reached the rank of major. And we decided that we would, we had a better opportunity. And so after about eight years, we went ahead and took another opportunity. He went to work for a large corporation as a comptroller. So. Okay. So what were you doing during during that time? Staying home? Well, staying home, okay. having babies, taking care of kids, having Bible studies. Okay. Yeah. Serving the Lord back here in Kansas City. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, and that's part of your story too. So I wondered when that kind of started to play a role, if it was when you were younger or you, I mean, you teach, you, you get asked to go speak all over the world. Yeah. So when did that kind of, was that intertwined in that season or... Is it kind of, sometimes as moms, there's like a pause in, in that part of our story until your kids start going to school or what did that look like? Yeah, our kids, when they were in grade school, I did some homeschooling and really stayed close to home. And I, I remember, I think it was in about 19, 1996 or seven, somebody asked me at a church here in Lee Summit if I would do a women's retreat. And I'd never, I'd always done small Bible studies, never done it. And, and I, actually, I did a lot of singing. When Charlie met me, that's what I was doing. I was a singer. Hmm, okay. And so I played guitar, played in folk groups, traveled for organizations and did some coffee houses and stuff like that. And so, is there nothing you can't do? Is there well, anything you can't do? Yeah. Well, so anyway, I did that. That was a season where I loved it. That's And, and everybody would have said, Fawn's not a speaker. Fawn's a worship leader. Hmm. Fawn's a singer. You know? Okay. So in 1997, I had this great story about living on the farm when our kids were little. And they asked me to do this women's retreat. And I did it. It was a three-session retreat. And it was funny. And people liked it. And, I, of course, I love the scriptures. And so I brought a lot of into it and afterward dear dear friend judy gibson she was the head of women's ministries at this church she said fawn you have a gift and i said well thank you and she said no I'm, I'm i'm telling you you have a gift she said you need to do more speaking i said why well, you know you know you have to understand charlie and i were a little bit older i said i don't know how my husband's going to really feel about that you know because he's the speaker i'm the singer and so mm-hmm. i don't know how that's going to work and she said well you need to pray about it because you have a gift and I really did take that to heart. Yeah. There's something powerful when someone looks at you and speaks life. And, and I realize God holds the words of life. But when someone is able to look at you and encourage or exhort in a way that I saw something in you, there's big power in that. As that, parents, as friends. Oh, Lauren, isn't that true? Yeah. Isn't Exhortation. True? I call it encouragement with a push. Um, <laughs> encouragement that moves you to something and doesn't just tell you your dress is cute, you know, that it that it moves you to, to maybe in your case, just consider, is this a thing? Yeah. How long before you told Charlie, hey, that someone thinks that well, this I went is- home and told Charlie. I said, hey, I, this gal thinks I've got a gift to teach. And, you know, I have to say he wasn't real crazy about it on board. He didn't know what it would look like. <laughs> yeah. You know, here's your wife. She's now going to start preaching or teaching or whatever. But it didn't take him long. 
He, you know, he sat in on, on a, I started getting asked to speak and he sat in on a couple and said, yeah, she's right. You got a gift. Use it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But after that, now he's my greatest. Yeah. But so then I, you know, just started doing some speaking, got, got at, did a lot, did a hundred mops groups. Yeah. You know, my kids were still little. Yeah. And so you kind of speak in the season. In the arena you're that at. you're in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, then from there, you know, people would hear me speak at a mops group. Then they say, could you come to our church? And then teamed up with another gal and we started speaking all over. Yeah. Okay. So kids are growing up in that time. At this point, you're still, you're not in real estate. I'm not. Well, I got a license in 1989, tried it for a year. And really our kids were in grade school. And I, I just, I just felt like our kids were too small. Okay. Too young. What made you, what, why was that something that you did? I mean, I think I know some of these answers, but what made you, when your kids were young in 89, what made you go get your license? Well, I started thinking, one of these days they're going to grow up. They do that, yeah. And maybe I need to figure out what I'm going to do. And so I talked to Charlie, of course, we talk about everything, and I said, well, you know, what do I want? I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, I don't think this is going to be too hard for you to figure out. Your dad was a builder developer. Your grandfather was a builder developer. I think real estate is kind of in your blood. Okay. So you probably need to take a look at that. Okay, so you got your license, didn't go after it. Did you let it even, like you let it? No, I kept it. You kept it, okay. Uh, Sold farms, actually sold log homes for a while. Okay. Gaston O Log Homes. Okay. Yeah, we built one. So I sold them and loved them, but still just didn't want to be on that, you know. Kind of the rabbit or the the hamster wheel quite yet. just kind of did it as I had opportunity. Okay. Okay, so then when did that take a turn? When your kids were graduating or... When did you really, I, I mean, your your brokerage didn't come until later, but you were in real estate for a oh, long yeah. time before that. Oh, yeah. It was 1993, and we'd been living, we had a farm, and we'd been living uh, outside of Kansas City, and we moved back to the city in 1993. Jenny was in high school. John was about ready to go into high school. And, and I decided that, you know, I thought I would probably do real estate. So I went with a national company and um, started selling and had great success in the first six months. And then within five years, I was ranked in top 1% in the nation. So what would you, what would you say was the secret to quick success at that time? Well, I spent a lot of money, to be honest. Yeah. You know, a lot of name recognition just comes yeah. by advertising. Yep. I was at movie theaters and on billboards and... Yeah, you know, people I just, knowing what you were yeah, doing. I just hit it hard. I, I don't like to do anything halfway. No. I either do it all or none, Yeah, you know. So I decided if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it yeah. all the way. Okay. And so I spent a lot of money the first two or three years until I had a lot of clients for referrals, and then I started getting referrals, and then it just kind of went crazy from there. Any idea, this is maybe a hard question, but any idea what how many agents were in the Kansas City area at that point? Because we know how many there are now. There's right. thousands. Yeah. Would you have any idea? Back I'd then? say that, I'd say there were at least half. Okay. Of what there are now. Okay. I can't give you the exact statistics. So, but, but quite a few less. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And you know, and there were there were some, I was older getting into real estate than most of my peers, but I had some people here that I really did look up to, and uh, went and got a whole bunch of designations right off the bat. You know, Charlie, Charlie was working outside, you know, work, had another job. And we finally figured out that we could probably make more money if we teamed up. So he became my back office guy right away. Okay. And uh, he would schedule me to go to all these classes because I figured I needed to catch up with all my peers. Mm-hmm. So I went and got all these designations and I got a whole string of them behind my name. Okay. And so, yeah, I, and I, and I loved, except I remember in 1993 when I started doing it, I started having all this success with it. And 
honestly, I was a little bit mad at God about this. Okay. Just going to be honest with you. Because I had always envisioned myself as a missionary. I was going to teach Bible studies. And here I was selling real estate. And I thought, what does that have to do with the kingdom of God? So, you know, I'm, I'm on one hand, I'm having a lot of success. On the other hand, I'm a little bit upset. And so I remember sitting, I was sitting in the dining room. I remember exactly the time I'm sitting there and I'm talking to God, kind of arguing with him. And I said, <laughs> Lord, I thought I was going to be a missionary all my life. I mm-hmm. thought I was going to lead Bible studies, thought I was going to be a speaker. And here I got this real estate gig and it's successful. And now what am I going to do? Yeah. And I remember that the Lord spoke, and he doesn't speak audibly to me, but I heard him clearly. Clearly. Mm -hmm. He said, you need to stop whining because real estate is ministry, if you'll realize it. Hmm. And I came out of that dining room with a different mindset. Yeah. And I said, okay, Lord, what would it look like if I every day made the decision that real estate was my ministry? Hmm. And I have to tell you, you know, maybe sometimes it's kind of like when you're looking for something and then you see it. Yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. And so it really was a a mindset change. Probably wasn't 93 because I got started in 93. It was probably more like 96, 97. Okay. So that I started really seeing my real estate business as ministry. And that changes the way you talk. I was going to ask that. How did it change your behavior? How did it change what you did? Well, I began to realize that you could be sitting at somebody's table and, you know, they're in a crisis situation. A lot of times mm-hmm. you enter a crisis situation as a realtor, right? Yep. And I, I started thinking, well, gosh, what would happen if I just said, hey, can I pray for you? Mm-hmm. And to my amazement, I've never had anybody say no. Sometimes they break down and cry. Yeah. Sometimes they say, nobody's ever prayed for me before. Yeah. And so I began to see all those opportunities. I've got people in my car, you know, back in those days. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. nobody had GPS. So it was just easier for people to ride in your car, which I love that. With your I map really, quest. Oh my gosh, I really miss that because <laughs> yeah. you have a captive audience yeah. for, for a half a day, yeah. right? And by the time you, you find a house, you guys really know each other. Yeah. And so I'd get to tell them my life story. They'd tell me their life story. And then I yeah. get to tell them about Jesus. Yeah. So it was awesome. Yeah. Loved it. So it, then I began to really, really enjoy my, my job. Yeah. So you did it for the big, the big name company for, for a little while. And then, I mean, your mindset changed, I think, while you were still there. So oh, it doesn't wait, matter oh, yeah. where we... I was there actually for 14 years. Okay. 17 years. Okay. Yeah, quite a while. Because, see, I didn't start Kansas City Real Estate until 09. Okay. And you you, you know that story, right? Um, Yeah, I think so. But you can tell it. You want me to tell you? Yeah. Okay, I love this story. Because the hand of God is all over it. So it's 2007. And I am... I'm tired, to be honest. I'm pretty exhausted. In fact, I t- kind of took a sabbatical... And I started praying about, you know, what would God have me do and um, about just being tired. You know, I pretty well burned it up in real estate. Yeah. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, you you need to back off. You need to make a change. So I talked to Charlie that next morning at breakfast and he was like, well, whatever God's telling you to do, we need to do it. If we have to, you know, downsize, if I have to go to work at Home Depot, whatever we got to do, mm-hmm. you know. So I went back and told my staff that day. And it was August of 07, and I told my staff, which I love my staff, they, they knew the Lord, they, they got me, they understood me. And I said, you know, I'm just really feeling like I need to fold this up. Because back at that time, I had a big staff. I had a team when nobody knew what a team mm-hmm. was. And they were supportive. They said, well, you know, we'll be praying with you. So I made the decision that in December of 07, I was going to shut down my big operation, pretty much dismantle my team, okay. let everybody go. 
and that I would go back to being a loan agent and see what God had for me. Okay. Because when you're a big team, you got a lot of expense. Yep. And I thought, okay, what would happen if I cut out all the expense, right? And I went back to being a loan agent. What would that look like? So I'm carrying my furniture out on December 31st of 2007, and I'm crying because I'm thinking, okay, I've just, I've just dismantled my life. Mm-hmm. I've just ruined my business. Lord, I hope this was you yeah. and wasn't, you know, bad pizza last night or some crazy <laughs> thing because this is crazy. Mm-hmm. Nobody does this. So I wake up on January 1st, 2008. I got no team, no people, and I'm sitting at a desk in the little loft at our house right where I started. Mm. I'm thinking, Lord, I don't know what what's going on, but I'm just following you. So in February of 2008, the market starts looking kind of crazy. By March, it starts to take a turn down. Mm. Yep. By May, it is in full-blown crash. Mm-hmm. And I realize at that point that God has just delivered me from those high expenses every month mm-hmm. and that he's in this. Yep. That's crazy. So that whole year, I, then I had a client that wanted to buy a million dollars worth of real estate. So it kind of carried me through. But by that time, now I'm starting to do a lot of writing and speaking. Okay. So I weather the whole storm in 2008, 2009, and then in 2009, in uh, about uh, October, November, I'm in prayer again, my big red chair at my office or my, at my house with my Bible. And I just sense the Lord is saying, you're going to do it again, but it'll look different. Hmm. I said, Lord, I just cannot crank up another real estate deal. I just can't do it. I'm getting too old. I'm just too old. I can't do it. He says, it's going to look different for so I remembered at that point that my brilliant husband in 1994 had bought KansasCityRealEstate.com. Hmm. Now, when he asked me if he could buy that, I said, Charlie, I don't even know what a dot-com is. And probably nothing's ever going to happen with this dot-com thing. <laughs> he said, well, no, I think it's a good investment. I said, well, okay, whatever you think. How much is it? He said, it's $1,500. I said, that's crazy. How, that's, how could, he said, no, I trust me. I think it's a good investment. I said, okay, whatever. So buy it. So all these years I've owned KansasCityRealEstate.com, that URL. So here I am in November of 09 and I'm thinking, okay, well, Lord, I guess I'm going to start my own company. Hmm. And I own KansasCityRealEstate.com. I think my company needs to be Kansas City Real Estate Incorporated. So I get a hold of my attorney and I said, I think I need to start a corporation and here's what I want the name to be. He said, you're never going to get that name. That's been gone for decades. Hilarious. Sure. So I, you know, and I don't, I don't fully believe him. So I get on the Secretary of State, and sure enough, it's been gone since 1935. Hmm. Somebody's had Kansas City Real Estate Incorporated. But if you keep scrolling down, you realize the guy let it expire. Oh. He had just let it expire. <laughs> so I, I feel kind of bad because I thought, I'm not going to sweep in and take his name because maybe he just, you know, not feeling he's sick or in the hospital and he just let it expire. So I set out to go find the guy that owned it. Okay. So it's a snowy day, November. I go downtown. 412 Washington was the address attached to that business. So I go down and as the Lord would have it, the guy's delivering mail, the postman's delivering mail. And I said, I'm looking for Kansas City real estate at 412 Washington. He said, oh, it's been gone for over a year. I don't even have a forwarding address. Mm. Call my attorney. I'm in. I'm in. I want that name. And so that day, no, it was actually the next day, I hand-carried the the documents to the Secretary of State because I thought, I think I've got a gold mine. I've got Kansas City Real Estate Incorporated, KansasCityRealEstate.com. 
I think it's a match. Yeah. So then I needed a place, and I went downtown Lee Summit, and it wasn't near what it is now. Right. You know, and so I found kind of a, you know, tumble-down place that needed a lot of work. So and, cute, though. Uh, yeah, it's Such darling now. Such a great now, spot, yeah. So, so my kids were all in. I said, what do you guys think? I went to Thanksgiving. I said, what do you think if we crank up again? Because they both had licenses, and they said, Mom, let's do it. So they all came over, and we rehabbed a space. And so I'm doing business on that shelf by the window with in a cloud of dust. <laughs> and, and that's how I started. And it was terrible. The first year was terrible. I mean, you couldn't sell a house. All the houses were dilapidated, you know. They had the light fixtures torn out, and the, all yep. the copper plumbing was gone, and the air conditioners were, air conditioners were stripped out. Because we were in the middle of the worst recession in history, yeah, real estate-wise. But I remember my dad always said, when everybody goes south, you go north. Yeah. And so I thought, well, everybody's closing their doors. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to open mine. And that's what I did. Yeah. So I lost money the first year, broke even the next year. That was a woohoo. <laughs> yeah, I hired, hired my first agent the third year. And that's been, what, 12 years, 15? Yep. yep. And some of those people, their stories are that they were super discouraged or oh, I mean, yeah. just about to, to quit, too. Those are Those are great stories when those people felt like they kind of got new life coming to be a part of it. So there's a lot of good there. And now you have a bunch of agents, yeah. a bunch of seasoned, a bunch of new. You you have a whole different thing going. So, no, that's good. I want to kind of go back to some things that are, like, not outside of real estate because you do a really good job of combining your your life is not separated out. And, and I talk like that, too. Um, I can't leave God out of the pieces of whether it's real estate or my kids or it is it is who I am all the time. How would you talk about the way that God does speak? You said that he doesn't speak audibly to you, but he, but he's clear in some moments. And so if someone was listening, we have another one actually that com- that's getting released today, and she hears from the Lord in a, in a unique kind of way. And I think sometimes people listen and they're like, well, I don't know how to hear God God's voice, or I don't know, God doesn't talk to me like he talks to Fawn. So how would you talk about over all those years, whether it was going into missions, it was getting married, it was taking a break, it was speaking, it was not speaking speaking, it was real estate, it was not real estate. How do you encourage people to hear from the Lord? That is a great question, and I'm really glad that you asked it, because there's a great answer. Okay. From the time I was about 15 years old, I just made a practice every single morning to sit down with my Bible open. And, you know, I I have to admit, sometimes I sit down and I'm dry as a bone. Sometimes I don't feel like it, but it's become a practice. And so through the years, as I spend time reading the Bible, and if you don't know where to start, you can always start in the Psalms. Yep. Because David will reflect your heart. He was so human. In some way. So human. It's all there. So, you know, you could start in the Psalms. You could start with the Gospels. But, you know, as time has gone on, and then I always sit with a little notebook, and I'm always writing something down. Yep. You know, I, I I don't necessarily journal necessarily but what I do is as I'm reading through I'll, I'll, I'll answer questions for myself you know what would God have me to do about that passage mm-hmm. or is that is that something I need to change in my life mm-hmm. or I'll just write what does that mean what does that mean what's that word mean I'm going to investigate that yep, yep. of course that's my you know backgrounds in biblical studies so I know how to search that out and with a lot of good helps but it's just become a practice through the years so much so that you know I've, I've seen that carried on in my kids yeah because they would wake up in the morning and there's old mom sitting in that chair <laughs> you know, sometimes at a little card table back when we were young and poor. And then later on in my nice, beautiful little red chair that I love now. Yeah. Just, my, you know, that's how I start my day. Yeah. 
Anna's eye. You know, if somebody sat and told you something, if, if you were sitting there and you were listening to an expert on a, on something, you would sit there with your pen and paper, would you not? No, for or sure. Y- you'd be taking notes, right? Because yeah. you want to hear what they have to say. Well, the God of the universe does that. Has given you a, a, a whole bunch of books that you can read. Yeah. Why wouldn't I sit there and take notes? Yeah. I mean, he's the creator of the universe. Yeah. So that's what I've done, what, 60 years? Yeah. Something? I think you said a lot of really important things. One, that a lot of times you don't feel like it, that there are times that, that it's just you're not feeling it and that you do it anyway, that there is a there's a discipline in sitting down with the Lord, just like there's discipline in exercise and discipline in eating food that maybe doesn't taste as good as something else. And there, it's a discipline. But also the writing. I think there. Yeah. I, I've been talking about this because this is a really popular question. Um, there are a lot of people who feel like God doesn't speak to them. And I find myself too, even though I love God's word. I love it. If I could talk about and teach from it all day long, like as a job, I, it, I love to make it applicable, to make it come alive to somebody, for people to, for the light bulb to come on and them go, oh, I can read this. This isn't scary. This isn't intimidating. But I am also, the flesh in me is lazy enough to listen to podcasts, listen to sermons. Nothing replaces opening your Bible. Can Nothing. I, I'm going to I'm going to amen that. I'm going to address that because we have the world has changed a lot. Yeah. And it's noisy. Yep. And a lot of times I think we listen to podcasts and see here's the thing about a podcast. That guy and not you know I'm on a podcast. Or us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, not dissing podcasts, but here's the whole thing. You listen to a sermon and that is wonderful. I love sermons. I take notes every Sunday when my pastor speaks. But here's the thing. He had all the fun. Yes. Yeah. See, I'm listening to what he's already studied. Yep. It's not a fresh word from God. Yep. Now, for me to hear God, I got to have some margin and some space in my life. Yeah. And so it's become, it's made, I've made this a practice in my life. When I sit down with God's word, Charlie will say, would you like to sit here next to me or sit here in the bed and we'll read the Bible? I'm like, no, sorry. When God does business go with me, yep. we, it's just me and him. It's got to be quiet. I, I'm personally, I can't listen to music mm-hmm. while I'm doing it. Mm-mm. I'm there to hear from the Lord. Now, when I say I hear from the Lord, what I'm actually saying is, I'll say, so I read a passage and I think, wow, that's a profound passage. I think, I think I need to make some changes in my life to conform myself to that passage. And then it'll come to mind. Well, remember yesterday when you said that or when you did that, that was probably out of line. You know, Lord, that's probably true. It was out of line. I'm not going to do, in fact, I'm going to go back and tell that person I was sorry. Okay, that's good. That's good. So then God is speaking to my heart. I'm yeah. hearing him. And he says, well, for you not to do that in the past, here's my, maybe how you could make some changes. Or maybe I read something and I think, wow, I want to be that. And God and I are having a conversation. I'm doing this in my head and God is speaking in my head. And the only way God can speak in your head is when his word is in your head, right? So the more you know God's ways by reading the word of God, the more you're going to hear his voice. His character. His character. What lines up with it. Yeah, when we think of ideas or thoughts that weren't ours, like when you're like, oh, maybe that was out of line. Or you know, he is kind of parenting. He's disciplining. He's guiding. Yes. And those are things that you cannot think of on your own, but you, but they line up with his character. Because we yes. also, our flesh thinks things that sometimes I just think awful things that I'm like, I don't even feel that way. Where did that come from? There's a flesh in there too. Absolutely. But if I can measure it back up to what I know scripture says, and the more scripture I know, the more character of his I know, the better I know him so that I can have better dialogue with him. And don't you think that's the value of a good friend? 
Maybe your husband's not somebody you could talk to or your wife isn't somebody you can talk to, but a good friend. Because sometimes you just need to bounce that off of somebody that really knows God's word and say, I believe this is what I'm hearing from the Lord. Is this true? Right. You know, or is it wacky tobacky, something crazy that, you know, I came up with you know, my, on my own. Yeah. And very often somebody else can say, well, that is true. And let me show you where I, I yeah. really believe that that's something God, they can affirm it. And yes. yeah, yeah, no. And I think he does speak to people in different ways. And there are people who do dreams and, and visions, which is super, Absolutely. super biblical. And gosh, my mom will even like have dreams and solve problems that she's been worrying about all day. And in, in her, you know, in her dream, she wakes up with, with the solution. And uh, I think being around other people who are pursuing the Lord, Lord, but maybe hear from him differently helps me see a more clear picture of him. But I think what you said about them, the pastor getting to have all the fun, we were just having this discussion at a family event and Scott's dad said, it's like getting chewed up food already. It is. And it's just being dropped in our mouth and it is easier And when you're being lazy, I can say that I did good things, that I heard good things. I listened to a good sermon yesterday while I was walking that used scripture and it it, it challenged me in some ways. It was really good, but it is, it is still chewed up some for me and dropped in my mouth. And there is something so rich and so personal and living and active, all those things that scripture says that it is, um, that cuts through joints and marrow when me and the Lord sit down. That's right. And then the other thing, too, about writing it down, I had a kid that was in, in nursing school for, for a time, and she was, they would not let them write or type, sorry, they, would, they wouldn't let them type their notes. They made them hand write their notes. And there was something that happened between their brain and their hand that made them remember that, that took something that was cerebral and, and made it memorable and and personal if they would handwrite it. And I think that's even true where when we're listening to a sermon, if we're making a memo in our phone, there is something different that happens when we sit down with our Bible and we handwrite words that stick out, words we don't know what they mean, questions. There, there is something that helps me not just go through the motions, read real fast and hope that something's stuck when I sit down and slow it down a little bit. And it doesn't have to be hours. No. It, it doesn't have to Sometimes be you got 15 minutes. super serious. Right, right. It's the discipline. It's right. the discipline. And then sometimes you've got more time or you start following yep. a rabbit trail and you're like, wow, I'm going right. to look this up and you know find all the passages that have to do with that. And I want to add one other thing. I was asked the other day, they said, well, where do you get your subject material for when you're going to go and speak? And what I've done for years and years, you go all the way back to probably 1985, I've got books stacked up in a closet somewhere, where when I'm hearing a sermon or I'm doing some study, when I think of something that I'd like to drill down on and maybe make a presentation of or study for myself, I'll always put a star there. And now if I'm thinking, gosh, I'm going to go speak someplace, I'm going to look and see what do I have is the way of material. I want to do something fresh. I can go through these notebooks, especially the last two or three, and I can find where those stars are. And that is great material to study. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Okay, well, that we got kind of off, but that's the good stuff. I think that's being able to do that in the midst of your regular life. You're not a paid staff person at a church. It, that the Hanging out with the Lord and hearing from him is not only for them. If anything, I, I think it's really important for those of us that are out in the secular world to know how to live it and talk about him where we're at. Jill Briscoe said that our, our ministry, that we're all missionaries, and our ministry is the two-foot circle around our feet. Yes. And so everywhere we go, 
that is that is my mission. And fortunately, I, I've always felt that way. I felt like I was a missionary in a business suit. I felt like that's how, how God called me into the business world when I just even out of college. And then God continued to write my story in a way where it was hard to talk about my story without him. So I just don't leave him out. I just don't. I just don't, I, I just make it weird. And and most people are okay with it. But anyway, so no, that's really good. Okay, so, oh, I don't want to forget this part because we could talk for a really long time. But how in the, over the over time, where did Guatemala come into play? Where, where did that happen? Well, you know, Charlie and I, we've got this background. And somehow if you've ever lived out of the country or you, you know, we speak two, lang- we spoke two languages, spoke Spanish. There's always this part of you that the world where you're at is a little too small. And so I was always looking for opportunities outside of the United States. Kind of aching to use that part of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And loving other cultures, knowing that everything God's doing, he's not doing it all in the United States. Sure. There's some pretty exciting things happening outside of the United States. Yeah. So uh, we had a real good friend, Shane Sanderson, and he had grown up in Charlie's Sunday school class. Okay. And we had supported him in youth ministry in St. Joe. And he came to us and said, you know, I'm getting a little bit older. Youth ministry is kind of a tough gig here, you know, when you get into your 50s. But he said, I'm really feeling like God would have me go start an orphanage. And he was just starting that whole process of visiting orphanages around the world and figuring out where God would have him go. And, and he was in his 50s. Well, actually, time. I think he was late said? 40s. Okay. Late 40s at that time. But he said, you know, I, I just realized that it's probably something I, I'd like to really make some changes. And so Charlie I, and I encouraged him. And uh, he ended up in Guatemala, started a little orphanage there called Casa de Mi Padre. And it's House of My Father. And I love that name. He said, I, I just want the kids in town, when they ask one of our kids, where do you live? They don't mm-hmm. have to say, I live in an orphanage. They mm-hmm. live in the house of their father. Mm-hmm. And so it's a small orphanage in Santa Cruz del Quiche. It's about uh, four hours from the main city of Guatemala City. And so Charlie went down first because we support everything Shane's done. God just he has used him through the years. And so Charlie went down first to do some photography for him. And when he came back, I met Charlie at the airport, and I said, so, mm-hmm. wow, how was it? <laughs> and my husband, who never cries, started crying. And he said, you just have to go. And I said, well, that's not an answer. So he said, <laughs> I need some more. I need some more. And he did give me more over the over the course of the next few days. But it touched him deeply. And so I did go. It wasn't just a few months later that I said, well, I'm going to go. Well, at that time, I was, uh, I was serving on the board of directors for another large mission organization, an international mission organization. And I loved it. I was in a boardroom and made lots of great decisions. But, you know, there was this part of me yeah. that wanted to be there yeah. on the field. Yeah. And so I go down to Guatemala. I meet these children. It's a small orphanage, 22 children. And, and my life was changed again, hmm. over again. I was, yep. I was re, renewed. And so I came back and started going down on a regular basis, then started taking teams of people down because there's just nothing like being on a missions trip that just opens your eyes and changes your life. Yep. We have 13 grandkids. And so I made this commitment that, you know, there would be a rite of passage when you turn 12, you get to go down with grandma and go on a missions trip. And so we're about halfway through the the group. Actually, I took them all. I love that. We took them all two years ago. Okay. Because I thought, well, if something happens to me, I don't want to default. So we took all 19 of them. Okay. And so, but still, you know, I was there in April. I'm going back in July. 
then I go to Africa in September. So I'm out of the country quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I know not that long ago, you said something to me about, I think I have about 20 more years to get on an airplane. And it just made me laugh because you just, retirement isn't really in your, in your vocab. You don't really act like you're going to put your feet up and... I mean, you said you're living your best, the best part of your life right now, that you love 70. And you're fortunate. Your health is, is, is good. Yes, your I energy level is good. But also, I think what you do with your time is so life-giving that I, I, think, I think people can learn from that. There's something that happens. You can tell me. I wasn't intending to talk about this. But there seems to be something that happens. I feel like I start to see it in, like, the 60s where – a lot of people start to feel like their time is up, that God's no longer going to use them. And I realize I'm not there, but I have parents and in-laws and people in church and people that I really love and respect that all, all have said something along the lines of, I, I just don't think that, like, like I don't think I'm, I'm valuable anymore. I don't think I have that the kingdom needs me in, in that capacity anymore. And one, you totally disrupt that and, and, and prove that, that, that God doesn't quit using people. But I also think it can be encouraging to them to go, no, I, I can be used in lots of different ways. You don't have to go speak in Africa to be used, but I just think it's good for people to hear that there's a lot of really great ways to give and be used. And it, it's, you, you don't, you don't seem to struggle with that. Well, it's just boring. <laughs> Anything else is just boring. Yeah. I, I just, you know, I, I always need something new and uh, something fun. And serving God is just a blast. Yeah. And so, you know, you think, well, does God really want me to do that? Well, just move in that direction. Yeah. If he doesn't want you to go there, he'll just. Do you think you're a risk you. taker by nature? Not really. I Calculated. Calculated okay. risk. Okay. I, I kind of like a safe bet. But at the same time, there's a lot of things that I have accomplished and done that we're, see, I just, I just kind of think if you don't have something bigger than you to do, then you don't. That gives God an opportunity to be magnanimous, mm-hmm. no, to I show agree. off, to put Himself on display. Yep. And so I'm always thinking, okay, what could, what God, what dream could you give me that is too big for me to do that mm-hmm. only you could do? Because yep. see, I just love seeing God on display. Whether it's in my life or your life, Lauren, or somebody's the life. The only things that are going to last are things bigger than us. Right. And I was that weirdo in high school going to bed at night going, is this it? Like, yep. this is, I, I, I want to do things that are bigger than me. I, and I don't know, it wasn't like I'd seen big loss or, I mean, I, I, there was obviously people that died in high school or, I don't know if that was what happened where I was like, look, life is short and if you don't do something bigger than you, it's it's all kind of meaningless or, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was just the Lord and somewhat my personality, but I literally remember laying in bed at night going, I want to be part of something bigger than me. What does that look like? Right. What's bigger than me? And I mean, really, he is the only thing that, that lasts. So well, yeah, I, I put on Facebook not long ago, I said, you know, the only thing you get to take, take to heaven is the word of God in the souls of men. So if you look at all the things you do all day long, what will really what what you do what you do today that'll matter in a that hundred years? Yep. What are what you do today? I ask myself, what do you do today that'll matter next year? Right. Yeah. Most things don't have a life a shelf life of six months. Right. So I'm I'm looking for stuff where I can send it on ahead because I do believe that God will reward yep. those who serve Him. What's the scariest thing you've done? Like, what, what's the Ooh. most afraid you've been? The most afraid I've been? That's a tough question. When you can skip it. I didn't prepare you for it. but That's okay. I can think about it. I'll give it some Because fear is a big part of people's struggle with obedience, is we're afraid that 
we can't do it. We're afraid we heard God wrong. We're afraid we'll fail. We're, we're afraid we'll look stupid. So fear plays a big part. Insecurity is a big thing right now. I don't mind looking stupid. Yeah, me either. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I, I just, I just think, well, if it doesn't work, you do something else. You do something else, yeah. So some of that's mindset. I got it from my dad. It helps too that you've seen success, but I think you've also seen things that it didn't work quite the way you thought, and you sure. just redo it. Or yeah. And I think, gosh, there was a time when you weren't looking at every follower. You didn't know every, like, I try not to ask my, I call her my podcast boss, like, how many people are listening? Because I don't want to know. Technology tells you things now that you can measure your success all the time. And sometimes it doesn't matter. Sometimes it's just, an, you you were told to do something, you you do it in obedience. And, and God does the rest. God, God the deals rest. with the stats. So, but right now you can know. How many people are reading things? You know, how many likes you get? And I think that's really, that that's unhealthy for our obedience because the reality is sometimes God's going to tell you to do things and it isn't going to go the way you thought or the response isn't going to be positive and it, that, that doesn't make it not his. He, yeah, was, I don't, he was polarizing. I, don't, I just honestly don't care. Yeah. No, that's it's a good not, It's not part of my, you know, I don't have time to care about no, that. Yeah. You're, you're, that's awesome. That's good. Okay. Is there anything, what would you tell your 20 something self if you could... Is there anything you would go back and and you have grandkids that are getting into their twenties? So I do. What would you tell them about whether it's success? Because success means something different to us as Christ followers. But is there I advice would, you give? Absolutely, I would say stay very close to the Lord and to His Word. We are about to enter waters that we're going to have to navigate in this world that there is no verse for. Yeah, there is no black and white answer for and if you don't know how to open God's word and hear his voice yep. you are going to find yourself adrift yeah and so that's a big part of what my husband and I talk to our grandkids about that's good that's good and you're not necessarily sitting down and having bible study all the time sometimes it's just conversation and teaching them how to go do it Absolutely. it's practical yeah tangible one of the things that we you know if, I've done, I haven't done everything right, but one of the things that I am really thankful for is that as our kids grew up, we made decisions on how to spend our money and our time so that we could stay close to our kids. When they were living out of the state, you know, we would go every two or three months. And we, I learned from my mother-in-law, never show up at your grown kid's house without a paintbrush and a toolbox <laughs> and a set of work gloves and a bucket of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, my parents know that. <laughs> right. So right now it's really bad. If you show up with those things and you yep. pull in the driveway, they're going to exhale when yep. they see you, and yep. they're going to be so happy you came. You don't come to tell them what to do or how to live their life. You come to pitch in, get dirty, and help them mm -hmm. accomplish their goals. Yep. So that's what we did as our kids grew, grew up. And now, of course, they're 46 and 43 something. or something. Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, yeah. got all these grandkids. And so through the years, we've made a decision. We are going to create moments to, to stay close to our kids. Yeah. So, you know, I, a few years ago, I sold, a big, sold my big house and I moved into a little 1953 ranch on 40 acres because I wanted a place for all my grandkids to really love and come home to. Yeah. And that's what they do. Everybody lives with about 10 minutes from us. But we create you got to celebrate everything. Yeah. Like everything needs to be celebrated, yeah. right? There's so and many hard things. We can celebrate all kinds of little hard. things. Yep. 
find celebrate everything you can think of to celebrate. And then about seven years ago, Charlie and I decided that we were going to spend, we we're going to ha- take a vacation every summer with all of our kids. And we were going to pay for all the big stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, they pitch in with a lot of the, you know, entertainment once we get there and food and stuff. But Charlie and I pay for all the big stuff. And it's expensive because mm-hmm. now we're 19, yep. right? Yep. So it's craziness to take 19 people on vacation. Yep. But without fail, our son, our daughter, both have said, Mom and Dad, we don't care what it costs you. When you, We don't want your money. We want your time. Hmm. Yep. And these vacations. Limited. Our son said something that was so powerful. He said, Mom, he said, what you don't realize is when you and Dad invest in these vacations for us, you're not just investing in time that you spend with us. You're investing in time that I, as a father, yeah. get to be with my children. Yep. And so, it's you know. It's forcing slow down. It, it, felt, it feels kind of weird if you've never done it before and you think, well, gosh, how, we tried, the first time we did it seven years ago, we did it just for four days down at the lake. We thought, are we going to kill each other? Is this Yeah, you work? joked. You're like, I don't even care if they I, like each other. We're doing it we're and doing we will it. be fine. Yeah. <laughs> and everybody had fun and now the cousins all look forward to it. And, you know, they're even, I mean, it, they're now they're all, some of them are 21. Yeah. But when they take a new job, they're like, okay, there's one non-negotiable. There's one, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I like it. Okay, did you think of a fear? Think of the scariest thing you've ever done. Scariest thing I've ever done. Maybe having a baby in the jungles of Ecuador. Yeah. That was kind of scary. Yeah. And then you lost her. One of them. One mm-hmm. of them. One of them. Yeah. I I didn't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. You know, so I guess I wasn't as scared That's as I true. would be now. I remember I came back to the United States and had a baby and thought, what the heck? They tie you up with all these... <laughs> It's wires. so different. I can yeah. have a baby all by myself, you know. Yeah. And uh, and here everything was just so planned and so orchestrated. Yeah. And yeah. So, but you it, didn't even know to be scared going in. I wasn't that. I mean, I, it was it was unknown. Yeah. You know, yeah. unknown. You're right. Um, that is scary. That was especially the first yeah. time anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe that was and no family. You know, all by ourselves. Yep. yep. That was kind of scary. I think getting up to. Reaching a foreign language is pretty scary still. For sure, yep. You know, I have to do a little bit of planning. Scary. Watching my husband change implements on the John Deere tractor, that's kind of scary. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I'm praying the whole time. He's like, here, hold this. and <laughs> Yes. And I'm hoping he doesn't cut his leg off. So, yeah. Those are kind of scary. Yeah. Keeps okay, so you do Lord. take risks. <laughs> yeah. Charlie more than me. Yes. Or he'll, he'll be on one of those 40-foot ladders. Here, honey, hold the bottom of the ladder. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's you're like, scary. We're I'm both, we're oh, both no. 70s we're plus. This is crazy. I know. No. Okay, that's good. Anything else you think is super important to say? You've said a lot of really good things that I'm excited for people to hear. No. I think I've I think I've covered the things that are most important to You've me. always got really important things to say and... If there's people in the real estate world that want to talk to us, we would oh. love to talk to people in real estate. But there's also, if there's people considering missions, considering turning their life upside down, I, we would both, whether that's adopting older kids or speaking in places that are unfamiliar or moving out of the country, or I, we would love to talk to people about that. We're both that way. And I would add one thing. You know, another thing that kind of happened at 70 is I realized that, you know, I I could maybe invest my time even a little bit wiser if I invested them in invested my time in individuals. And so I have starting te- started teaching women how to teach. Mm-hmm. And man, I just had no idea yeah. that I'd get this many requests. Yeah, I'm on that list. I want to I want to be in that. So my goal is, you know, and it doesn't take it's not that hard. I just introduced people to a lot of helps yep. uh, in 
you know, Greek and Hebrew helps and good resources so that you can research the scriptures for yourself. And so I am having a blast doing that. And really it's, it's almost more about sitting down together and doing something that your head might know some of the things, but to sit down and talk out loud about it and to do it, actually, actually do it is different than just thinking or hypothetically. And so I think that that's some of it too, is you're encouraging, pushing, but also teaching and it, and it helps some it's like it's like talking about cooking something and, and actually mixing the ingredients is two different things. It, it all started because last year when I was in Africa, I was speaking to thousands of people. I had big crowds. But I had one woman that came up to me whose, women, whose husband was in seminary, and she said, I wonder, could you teach me how to do what you do? And I came home with that, and I've been talking to her via the Internet, but, and I'll see her again in September. But I came home with that thought, and I thought, I wonder if there's other women that would love to do that. Mm-hmm. So uh, rather than do a lot of speaking in the United States, I used to do a lot of traveling in the States, and now not as much. I will go do a – I agreed to do one the other day. Somebody called me, and I'm going to do one at a church. But even, in, even when I go there, I'm going to say, if there's someone in this group that wishes they could teach, there's where I'd like to invest mm-hmm. my time. Yeah. Okay. That's good. What do you have? What would you say? What would you say grit is? What, what do you What do you think when you when you meet people? What do you think grit looks like? Endurance. You just stay in there. You know, it's like marriage. Fifty three years. Yep. We haven't woke up every day. We, we didn't wake up every day madly in love. Mm-hmm. There were days we woke up and we barely liked each other. Right. But what you do is grit is. You know, I'm going to continue to serve you. I'm going to continue to forgive you. I'm going to continue to meet your needs and be kind to you until I fall in love with you again. Yep. And then lo and behold. And sometimes that's kind of our walk with the Lord too. Isn't that true? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's that waking up and, you know, it's dry. You know, I've got this practice where I open my Bible and I want to hear from God. And sometimes you close the Bible and you still didn't hear from God. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, you do a few days of that, and sometimes I'm like, Lord, I'm sitting here till you talk to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes it just takes grit. Yep. It, God, God sometimes shows up loudest and biggest in the ordinary. Mm. You know, we love the spectacular. We love those big stories. But the truth of it is most of life yep. is lived in the trench. Yep. That's good. It's really good. Thank you. You're welcome. I'm serious. This is, this is good stuff. I'm excited about it. Thank you. Yep. Hey, are you late? Thank you so much for listening. If you have or know someone with an inspiring story, you can apply to be a guest at OrdinaryGrit.com. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram at OrdinaryGritPodcast to get to know me and my guests.